Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Albert. It's a pleasure and an honor to be up on this platform that's been shared with so many great men and women of God. And uh, honestly, I just want to dive right in because I don't want to give you any more of my words. I just want you to leave here with the word that never changes, that always stands true, that is powerful and life-changing. Amen? If you have your Bibles, you can go with me to Joshua chapter 6. Be in Joshua chapter 6. So we're going to actually come in at the end of a pretty familiar passage probably for most of you. This is where Joshua and the Israelites, they've been conquering all of these territories. They've been taking over place after place after place. They've now crossed the Jordan River. See, uh, Moses and his crew crossing the Red Sea wasn't the only time this happened. It happened again for Joshua, and they, they crossed the Jordan. And now the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, they have all seen and heard of the power of God. And so they've begun to run. And how many of you know when the enemy knows that you've crossed over, he starts to run? So the enemy started backing up and the enemy started fortifying itself inside the walls, inside the fortified city of Jericho. And so now God comes to Joshua. He gives him specific instructions. Here's what you're going to do. For six days, one time each day, you're going to march around this entire city not saying a word. The priests with their trumpets are going to go before you, and you're going to carry my presence around. For six days, they did this one time each day. But on the seventh day, you're going to march seven times. And on the end of the seventh time, you're going to give a great shout. And when you do, the walls will come down. And that's where we pick up Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Someone look at your neighbor and say, take the city. Look at your other neighbor and say, I don't know why I didn't pick you the first time. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I'm going to pray. And we're going to go on Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This morning, who are you fighting? Who are you fighting? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word that you've placed inside of my spirit, God. I pray that you would work past all of my inadequacies, God, all of my fallacies and my inabilities. But Father, you would shine forth this morning that your word, your truth, your light would pierce the hearts of every person in this room. We thank you for it. We love you. In Jesus' name, someone say amen. amen. Spiritual warfare is a pretty polarizing topic within most of Christianity. And you end up with, with two separate camps many times. The first, pretty much ignoring it. We don't want to talk about spiritual warfare. Let's not talk about, let's not use the demon word. That'll scare people. Let's not talk about those kind of things. Let's just, I just want to live my life, go to church, go to my Christian book club, and I'll be fine. But then you have this other side of the camp who like, when their dog poops inside, they're like, the devil is a lie casting demons out of Fido and he's just like rolling over for a belly rub and they just go so far to every single thing is just hyper spiritualized and everything somebody you know what I mean like I even said the devil is a liar the devil didn't drop my phone on my laptop I dropped my phone on my laptop but we end up with these two camps either we ignore the fact that there are spiritual wars taking place or we blame the enemy on other stuff but I'm going to be honest with you I would rather err on the side of blaming the enemy because if I'm not aware of the spiritual attack in my life, I'm probably losing. 
If my eyes aren't open to the warfare that's taking place in my life, chances are I'm losing the battle. Chances are things are going on in my life that are going on because I'm retreating and I don't even know it. So this morning, we're going to talk about taking the city back, but I'm not talking about the city. I'm a, Elijah texted me yesterday. He's like, I bet I know what you're talking about. You're talking about going out and, and taking the city and, and, and evangelizing. And I said, no, I'm talking about taking the city back, taking the city back. Who I'm, who I'm fighting against, where my identity is, what, what he did in my life, when he changed me, when he saved me, when he made me a new creation. Can you walk in the realization of what Christ did on the cross for you? We're going to take the city back this morning, but before we do that, you have to know who you're fighting. The old you is not the enemy. The old you is not the enemy. In Romans, Paul over 47 times says the old you is dead. Why are you fighting a corpse? We find ourselves blaming every time we mess up, every time we fall, every time we have a wayward thought, every time we, we commit a sin, oh, I'm just fighting the old me again. If you'd quit digging him up, you could quit fighting him. He's dead. He's gone. But, but we get confused. Look at uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 23, and I've heard this before in my life. This is Paul speaking. He says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so it's been preached and we hear this and we think, man, if Paul sinned, how many of you have heard that before? If Paul fell to sin, if Paul was a slave to sin, then of course I'm going to fall, right? No. We have to remember this book was not written with the page numbers and the chapters and the verses and the subtitles. Paul wrote this as an entire context of a letter. And so you can't, especially in Romans, please hear me, especially in Romans, you cannot just jump to a chapter. I encourage you, start at the beginning and get to the end because look what Paul did in Romans chapter five, verse 17. Romans five, verse 17. So we don't have that one. That's so good. I have this trusty Bible right here and I'm gonna get to it. I mean, I'm sure the devil caused the computer to go wrong and it's just messing us up. Adam, I'm racing you. Whoever gets it first, loser buys lunch. I got it first. Romans chapter five, verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now hear this. He did not say they would work towards righteousness. He did not say they would one day achieve righteousness because guess what? You can't. But by one man's work on the cross, you will reign in life. Other translations say you will triumph. Y'all should be happy about that. It's the name on the sign. You will triumph in life. You will walk in victory. You will walk in righteousness. Now look what he goes on in chapter 5, verse 20. I know he's got that one. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in, in, in Romans chapter 5, Paul is talking about the power of grace in your life, that righteousness would reign in you. But then he realized something at the end, and parents in here have done this before. Remember, you're talking to your kid who's messed up, and you, you start with, no matter what, I love you, and no matter what you do, and then you realize, did I just tell them they can do anything they want? And so you have to cover with, 
but don't sin, don't, like, like, don't do those things, but I'll love you anyway. So, so in, in Romans 5, Paul just realized, he said, where, where there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of grace. So he may have proliferated the idea that we should just sin, we could have a bunch of grace. So that's why in Romans chapter 6 now, he picks up in verse 1, he says, should we keep on sinning that grace may abound even more? No, no. And look where he picks up in verse 5. For if we have been united with him, being Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Keep moving with me. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves. Look at someone say, consider yourself. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What do you consider yourself? Are you considered still alive to the snares and the traps that the enemy sets before you? You don't have to sin anymore because you're not a sinner anymore. The Bible says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. What does that tell me about now? It means I'm not anymore. I didn't deserve salvation and sanctification until Christ died on the cross for me. Can, can I tell you this morning, you deserve it? Now, this is stomping on some, some, some ideas. Now you, you deserve it. Now, you didn't deserve the righteousness of God, but now you are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So, so the, the blessings, the favor, your entrance into heaven, life, and eternity, you deserve it. Now, you didn't earn your ticket, but once you have your ticket, you got your ticket. Just like I have to October 7th, Texans-Dallas uh, game be uh talk about the blessings in favor of god um i've got to get off for me and miss gail are gonna we're gonna it's good stuff oh you deserve it you deserve righteousness you don't do you i'm sorry you didn't deserve righteousness you were given righteousness but now you have righteousness so stop acting like you don't we can't keep walking in this defeated mindset so what was paul talking about in verse in in chapter seven let's go chapter seven Verse one, so, so in chapter five, grace covers sin. In chapter six, doesn't mean you get to keep sinning, right? Because you can sin without the sin nature. How do I know that? Adam and Eve did. God created them good, yet they chose sin. Sin still works. Try it. Don't. <laughs> You're like, okay, go test it. Don't test it, but it still works. Can I sin while I'm, while I'm saved? Yes, it's stupid, but you can. It's still capable. It's still there. So in, in chapter 7, remember, he's writing to Jewish Romans who understood the, the full weight of the law. And he has to make something really clear. The law was not bad. The law was not wrong. You just couldn't live up to it. And, and everywhere, everywhere the law shined, I was exposed to the sin in my own heart. Look at 7 verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. What did we just learn in verse 6? You don't live anymore. The law is binding on a person as he lives. You died. So the law is no longer binding on you. 
He then goes on to talk about a law where if a woman uh, got a divorce from her husband, married again, she was considered an adulteress. Unless he died, then she's no longer held under the weight of it. Because there was freedom from the law in death. You died to the law. In chapter 7, he is not saying, I am now. He's saying, that's what the law made me realize. The law showed me my sin. The law showed me my slavery. The law showed me how wretched I was. But now in Christ Jesus, I'm not. That's where we have to battle from. That's where we have to fight from. Because the more he understood the law, the more sin in his life was exposed. But if you believe you're still in a war with the old man, you are losing spiritual battles. The old you is dead and gone. Ephesians 6, chapter 10. I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 10 and 12, through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He is scheming. He is scheming. He is coming up ways to manipulate. Remember, a scheme is not just a strategy. A strategy is a plan, but a scheme is trickery. A scheme is deception. A, stream, a scheme is coming against you. And he typically does it in the way of your own voice and your own thought that you think that's still you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. So four things you're battling against, four things that are coming up against you. Number one, uh, which you probably learned it this way if you're like me, principalities. Principalities, rulers of authority. Now we have to understand, I've only grown up in today's culture so I've only been preached this into how it applies spiritually, right? But if you want to fully understand what he's saying, we have to track back to the actual analogy he's making. A principality is a physical thing. A principality is a territory ruled by a prince. It's a prince of a palady. So it's an, I don't know what a palady is. It, it's a, it's a, but there is a prince and he has a territory and he rules over it. With what? With powers, it's the strength and the ability, the might of a prince to control a territory. That might be his army, his weapons, his whatever is there. But then he goes on to rulers of darkness. What is not in darkness? Light. The absence of light, the absence of truth, the absence of the reality of Christ Jesus. And to spiritual wickedness, the evil plans, the immoral schemes that the enemy is placing against you. That's what we battle. It's not Karen in accounting who keeps talking about you. There are other forces at play, but it's also not who you used to be. It's not who you used to be. Stop crucifying yourself. You're hanging dead bodies and it's weird. The old you is dead, the old you is gone. So what happens with these principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through four, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. This morning, the assignment God gave me to speak to you about was to destroy strongholds that are in your life. Here's what a stronghold was. A city would be formed, but then that city would be, need extra protection, and so they would build high walls. They would establish a bigger army. They would establish defenses. And once a territory had been conquered, the enemy would still remain in the stronghold. 
The enemy would retreat. So as we spoke about with Joshua and Jericho, the enemy had been defeated. The Israelites had already won, but the enemy was running scared. So they ran and hid in a stronghold. You are conquered territory. The battle has been won. Christ won it on the cross, but that doesn't mean that the enemy isn't still trying to hold on to something. That's not you in there, but the enemy is holding on, creating strongholds, building walls that it does not want to let go. And while you're still battling the old you, the enemy is camped. And, we're, and we're, we have our eyes, we have our focus on the wrong place. In battle, and before Christ ever walked the earth, there were special forces. The first special forces units were created simply to take down strongholds. An army, a nation would win a battle, they'd win a war, and they would hire these special hands through this special technique, it was called siege craft. It was how they would siege a stronghold, how they would lay hold on it. Because if you allow principalities and authorities and rulers of darkness and, and spiritual wickedness to remain, they're gonna start building. And they start building strongholds within us. And you think that's just a sin that you can't get rid of because that's still who you are and who you were and you're fighting you and you're fighting blame and you're fighting guilt and you're fighting shame when you should really be fighting a stronghold. And how do I tear that down in my life? What are these strongholds? It's less ethereal than you would think. In verse five, here's what we destroy. Arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The strongholds are these ideas. That word, that word um, argument, it means a reckoning, a, a decision, a conclusion, something in your mind that has decided that's how it always was, how it always will be, how it always is going to continue. Something in your mind that, that says that's how it should be. I should be afraid. I should be anxious. I should worry. I am rejected. I am abused. And, and it stays within your mind and, and, and it goes through you. You know, all, not all of your thoughts that you have are your own. It's a scheme of the enemy to come at you in your own voice. In verse five, that, that word for, for arguments, it's, it's the Greek word logismos. It means this logic, this judgment, this, this decision that we encamp on because we think it's our decision and we think it was our judgment, not realizing the whole time it was a stronghold. Have you ever, have you ever been talking to someone about like a specific topic, like you're good, the conversation's fine, but then all of a sudden when you mention just a little something, like a wall goes up, it feels like you're talking to a wall, you are. You're talking to a stronghold. You can talk about anything, but the second you bring up maybe something that's related to something that was done to them, immediately a stronghold of bitterness rises up and there's nothing you can do about it. There are strongholds all over our life. There are, there are specific, there are physical strongholds. Drug abuse is a stronghold. There has been something done in your mind that tells you you need this, you have to have it, it makes you better, it will fulfill you, it will satisfy you. But it's a lie and it's a stronghold. Drugs and, and alcohol and, and material things, for some of it, it's just, I need to buy, I need to have, I need to buy, I need to have. And it's a stronghold in your mind because you're comparing yourself to everyone around you instead of to the person that God's called you to be. Because you're still trying to make yourself better, not realizing you're already alive in Christ. So we, we stretch and we reach and we grasp trying to, to gain these things when in our mind it has to be perfect and we have to have it this way. And this is the stronghold I struggle against. Lust, pornography, 
you really think it's just because you're a guy that's the way it is? There is a stronghold of lust, a stronghold inside of you that, that things in your mind click and say, that's what I need. My God doesn't just provide all that I need. He is all that I need. And strongholds try to convince you otherwise. Why? Because they come against the knowledge of Christ. And they set our focus on other things. The effect, the, the studies that have come out about the effects that pornography has on the, man, the mind is insane. That, that a man who has, been, who has been addicted or even a woman that has been addicted to that kind of thing has the same brain um, functioning and, and chemical weight as someone who has been on heavy drugs like cocaine for years. It deteriorates the mind. Why? Because that's where the battle is. It's in my mind. This nation is under serious strongholds. If you think that it's just the way a person was raised, that they can look at someone of a different race or ethnicity or color and say, that person is less than I am, and that's just the way they are, that is demonic. That is a stronghold. That is a spiritual attack on this nation. And we keep pointing fingers and trying to place things on anyone else, but that the enemy has rooted a stronghold in us. And as we as a nation became free, we are conquered territory. There is freedom for everyone, but there's still a stronghold. And we have to identify the stronghold. These... These lofty reasonings and opinions, there are scientists and doctors who are brilliant, brilliant, but will tell me that at a whim, I can use the women's restroom and decide that's who I am? And we're blaming the liberals. We're blaming CNN as if they have powers over spiritual darkness and wickedness. It's a lofty opinion raised against. One of the words for, for authority, um, not for authority, when Paul used that word that we're coming in, it's the, the root word for the spirit of origin, creation, definition, purpose. I, how long have we been here that we're just now trying to figure out the biology of a person? It doesn't make sense. And, and, and you, you would think that, like, that's such, it's so crazy that we're having to have the discussion. So because it's a stronghold. It's a lofty reasoning. It's this argument. It's spiritual wickedness. It's a scheme coming against you. That same doctor who will look at a, at a baby at 38 weeks and say, that's a fetus. And will look at an egg of a sea turtle and say, don't step on it. That's a life. Tell me that's not a mental stronghold. A doctor that you would trust. A doctor you would, I would like perform surgery on my heart, but can't figure out that that is a human being? And then it goes to this lofty opinion of what life is and how life matters. And so then we see kids shooting up schools and we're blaming guns and we're and then, but then on that side, we're blaming people and we're blaming parents. Why don't we blame a stronghold that exists in origin and says that life does not matter? Because you know what? Outside of life in the spirit of Christ, it doesn't. We have to attack strongholds, but let me tell you, it's not done by that really quick, awesome meme that you found that proves your point. It's done on your knees in prayer in the presence of God. I have never known a person to see a post on Facebook and go, you know what, that's right, I will change my opinion. That is how it should be, total sense. You're wasting your words, give them to God. We can rebuke strongholds on other people's behalf.
You don't like somebody? You think someone's wicked? You think someone's evil? Pray against the forces of darkness that are coming over their life. We try to play this game where we blame parents for, for kids who rebel and run off. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Your son, your daughter don't know what they're doing. I'm, I'm, I trust the rod. I trust time out. I trust the backside of my hand. But let me tell you, there is a spiritual battle that your son and daughter don't know they're even fighting. Why don't you fight for them? Why don't you fight for them? The church has to stop being an audience and start being an army like it was created to be. And instead of sitting back and watching, instead of sitting back and commentating, no one wants your call or commentary on what's going on in the world. We want believers who will stand up, recognize the authority that's been placed inside of us by the power of God, that the same person who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and we can put to death the evil, wicked schemes of this earth. And if you don't do it, who will? Something my, my, my dad's always told me is that he, he said, Albert, the, the government is not leading the corruption of this nation. The church is. Every time the church makes a concession, the government said, oh, okay, I guess that's what we're doing now. The church stopped fighting because we, because we felt like we were talking to walls. We were. Tear them down. We have to get to the root of people, to the spiritual wickedness that's taking place across this earth. But you know, this, this issue of life actually goes even way back. See, see today we, we face and we, and we battle and, you know, these, these spirits and of, of wickedness and darkness. And the one, I, I'm such a, a pro-life believer. That's the one that I always I stick to. But you know what? The walls of Jericho were ex, ex, excavated. And you know that these, it was a common practice. What they would do is they would sacrifice babies to their God. And then they would build the walls and put these babies' dead bones inside of them and call it a foundational sacrifice. That even in the book of Joshua, strongholds were, were built on the idea of, of life not being existed and created in the hands of God. It's a stronghold. It's a stronghold. So how do we take the city back? Look at someone say, take the city back. I'm going to be brief and then we're going we're to knock some walls down. Is that Okay. If Martin wants to come back up with me, I feel like I want to get churchy. It's going to be good. Number one, look at someone say, enter his presence. Typically, we start the story of Joshua at the, at the moment he gets the instructions from God, but it actually starts before that. We have to go, instead of Joshua 6, you have to go back to the end of Joshua 5. So in Joshua 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Because Joshua understood, I need to define who my enemy is. I need to know who's my enemy. So he sees a man there, are you for me or not? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You have to enter his presence. Now what's taking place right here in this scripture, I don't know if you've, you've studied or you've heard of this. It's called a Christophany. There are instances in the Old Testament where the pre-incarnate form of Christ visited earth. And you can recognize them by a couple things. One of them that we see here is Joshua's response. He fell in worship. There were times in scriptures where someone would fall in worship to an angel and the angel would say, I'm not worthy to be worshiped, get up. He didn't do that. He received his due worship. 
And there's other instances, and I can't go into the full weight of it, but there are times in the Old Testament where the pre-incarnate form of Christ would come and visit his people. And he had to visit and deliver his truth because that's who Christ is. He is truth. How do I, how do I fight against, how do I battle against these reasonings that ob- object to who Christ is? I battle with truth. Because Christ came to the earth and he says, I am the way, the, and the life. I am truth. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Why? Because the darkness is hidden in lies, in secrecy, but the light of the world comes in truth. It shines a light on evil spirits and wickedness and what's taking place and exposes things. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin. They had just cast a, a demon out of a young lady, but now they're being I'm sorry, they had not. They had raised a man who had been lame for 40 years and, and all of his bones were instantly healed. And so they're, they're being judged for it because they, they, had a, they saw a miracle take place. So the Sanhedrin, the religious people, the religious rulers take them, they're in council, they hear their account of what just happened and they decide, we can't deny this happened. We can't deny, they healed, this guy was healed. So here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna tell them, hey, it's cool. We're, we're gonna let you go. You healed this person. Just don't tell them you did it in the name of Jesus. Don't, why? Because they understood this principle. It doesn't really matter what happened. What matters is who happened. I can look back at my life and not be able to explain certain instances. I could not be able to explain blessings and favors. I could not be able to explain trials and temptations. I don't have to know what happened. I don't know have, have to know how happened, but I need to know who happened. Because the power is not in what took place. It's in who took place. There's plenty of self-help books out there for you. There's, there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of things you can read and say, oh, that's how I overcome this. That's fantastic. And I can do it. I can, I can read. You can meal prep and lose some pounds, but there's something in when the presence of God, when I enter it, he gives me instruction. When I enter it, he shines truth on the situation. He says, I'm not your adversary. The adversary is over there, but notice he had his sword drawn in his hand because he was ready to fight. We have to be ready to fight with truth. Now, this word truth, there's a couple instances of truth in the Bible and, and specifically speaking to words of truth. And so when we study and we look at the Greek in, in uh, one version, you've probably heard the word logos, word, truth. That is the constant word of truth. This, logos, doesn't change. It is what it is. From the beginning of time, this is logos. There's another that you may have heard of. It's called rhema. This is God. This is Christ giving a specific word for a specific time at a specific moment. This is what you need. It's a personal word from God. It's a rhema word. But this word, when the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, it's none of those. It's this word aletheia, which means reality. You have to understand that the reality is not what you see. There is a new reality at work in you. So while you might still be fighting battles, you have to understand the reality isn't what's happening. My reality isn't who is happening within me. My reality is in the spirit of God rising up within me. Reality, you will know his reality and his reality will set you free. That's the same word that he used when he says true worshipers will worship in spirit and in because your reality of worship has to change. I'm not worshiping from a dead place anymore. I'm worshiping from life in Christ. So I have to worship from spirit and in truth. The Bible says I will rejoice not in iniquity, but I will rejoice in the, it's a lesser known Bible. Let me help you out. The word's truth. And it's a, and it's a lathia. Does that mean there's not iniquity around you? No. It means you live and you walk and you breathe on a greater reality. 
Peter stepped out of the boat and the iniquity and the reality that he saw in his mind were ways, but the real reality who when God formed the earth did everything through Christ Jesus and no one else spoke. It was God's voice through Christ who spoke. He said, my reality is different. Walk on the waves. Your reality has to shift. And when your reality shifts and you see the truth, you do the number one thing that forces would do to take down strongholds. You cut off the supplies. You have to quit feeding the strongholds in your life. I have such a problem with lust. Well, stop watching movies where that's a, a problem. Let's not make this too complicated. Yes, spiritual warfare does happen in heavenly places. But when Jesus was cleansing the temple, the Bible says he took some time, he sat down and he made a whip. The whip was not for the, the temple rulers. The whip was because what they were doing were bringing in sacrifices into the temple to sell them. So he knew if I need to get these cows out of my temple, I need a tool. And he sat down and he made a physical tool. You need physical tools that cut off supply to your strongholds. I have students who will come to me and bring me their phone and say, put a passcode on this. And others will say, I'm just not going to have a phone anymore. Because there's a stronghold that I need to tear down. And I'm willing to make the choice. I'm willing to take the time. I'm willing to place the effort in it. And that's what I have to do to tear this stronghold down. Man, if you're having trouble, whatever it is, wherever you are, because what I'm talking about this morning is internal things, internal thoughts, internal minds, internal things of anxiety and fear. There's been such, such a spirit of anxiety across this country. Even right now that some of you have been experiencing it, not just on a clinical level, but just in your life, an unrest that's attacked your mind. You have to tear it down. But one of the things you have to do is quit going to your, your best friend, Margie, to talk to you about it just so she can tell you how bad it is. I've got to cut off the supply of what's feeding my stronghold. Cut off the supply. We have to trust the Lord in all these battles. The second thing you need to do, so first you enter his presence. Secondly, elevate your perspective. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. One of the innovations of the, of the church at this time was called Siege Towers. And what they would do is they would build these tall towers that they could see over the walls of the enemy. And they would build them on wheels, they would get their archers on them, and they would roll them up to the wall so they could see what was really taking place. You have to elevate your perspective. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, see? Do you see? I have given Jericho into your hand. No, you didn't. Jericho's right there with a the big old wall, God. What is God doing talking in the past tense about something that hasn't happened yet? Only God can do that. See, I have given Jericho into your hands. But verse one said that the city was barred up. Elevate your perspective. I have to see in the reality of truth that God works in. I have to see and try. Remember, I am reigning in life. I cannot see through achievement. I cannot see through current circumstance. I have to see from his perspective that the walls are going to come down. But what do you do when what God says does not look like what you see? Because I could be preaching about joy and you might be facing depression. I could be preaching about peace and you're worried. And I could be preaching about blessing and favor and you are broke. You have to see. 
I have to see. I have to know that his, heart, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. And though we preach about freedom, but you're facing bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, I can walk in freedom before I see it. I can change the way I reign. You're creating the image and the likeness of God. Right, he tells us that in, in Genesis 1:26. right after he tells us that we have, I'm sorry, right before he tells us that we have all dominion. He created you to rule. Because when you aren't ruling in life, when you are losing battles in life, it's hard to walk. It's hard to walk in freedom. It's hard to walk in victory. But we have to live by the reality of what God said, not by what we see. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your peace be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I come to God, I enter his presence, I let him know what I'm feeling, I let him know what I'm dealing with, and, and I bring it to him, and it says the peace of God will be with you. Does it get better than the peace of God? Trick question, yes it does, and he tells us right here in verse eight. I got you. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, elevate your perspective. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice them, and the God of peace will be with you. You know what's better than the peace of God? The God of peace. They don't get it, Pastor Kirk. He heard it. Y'all didn't hear it. I, I'm saying. So, Pastor Kirk, you want to take me to lunch after this? I'm, my wife might have plans. I don't know. If I'm going to lunch and Pastor Kirk decided he wanted to bless me, he could hand me a credit card, he could hand me cash, he could hand me something, and I would take it with me. I would have the money of Kirk with me. But what if I want an appetizer? What if I finish and I'm ready for dessert? You know what would be better? If the Pastor Kirk of money came with me and I could put something else on the table. I could set something else down. And maybe the peace that he gave me for one situation maybe feel like it's running out, but if he will meet me there, I can sit back and rest and knowing he's swiping, I can keep on walking. He's swiping, I can keep on moving. He's, he's, he's speaking and I can trust. He's moving and I can step. He's taking places in my life and he's saying that stronghold is coming down, it's done and I can trust it, why? Because I don't have to trust in a God who's far from me. He is with me when I elevate my perspective. You're living defeated lives because you're thinking on defeated things. Everything with thanksgiving. The quickest, let me just give you a quick tool. When you are struggling, when you are facing depression, when you're facing fear, when you're facing anxiety, when you're facing lies, start thanking God for every last thing you can get your mind on. The Bible says I enter his presence with thanksgiving. And when he says that, he's not saying be thankful when you come into the presence of God. He said that's how you come into the presence of God. With the password of thank you, I can enter his presence, I can elevate my perspective, and the God of peace will be with me. Whatever might be staring you in the face is not a sign that you're never getting into what God promised. It just might be a sign that the devil is getting desperate. It's when the enemy knows he's defeated that he puts up walls. If it wasn't the case, he would still be fighting you. He can't. So he's trying to get you to fight yourself. 
if I can get you to fight yourself, I can sit here behind these comfortable walls and never do a thing. Enter his presence, engage in his truth, elevate your perspective. I'm gonna walk from that stance. Finally, engage in persistence. Why engage? Because I couldn't come up with a better E word and it just matched everything else. Engage in persistence. The second high functioning weapon that was created, the innovation to take down strongholds was the battering ram. The battering ram strength is not in its might as one force, but in its ability to repeat. Back, swing, back, swing, back, swing. Any Braveheart fans in the house? Wallace sacked York, how did he do it? He had a battering ram and they rode it into the wall, but it didn't break the wall the first time. So they pulled it on back. Come on, when you get a setback, can you realize I'm not falling back? I'm getting ready for my next run. He pulled on back and they went again and went right into the gate. And then they pulled on back and the strength in its battering ram is its potential for repetition. And I keep fighting and I keep fighting for we know the end of the Jericho story. They didn't know that on day four when they had been waking a lap around a fortified city once a day, every day with their mouths completely silent. Wouldn't it have been amazing if they were walking and every day they walked like a, just a couple bricks fell, but at least knew that a lap was doing something. Then, okay, oh, so the laps are working. No, remember, it's not in what's happening and it's in who's happening. So if you saw bricks falling, you would think you were doing something right. You would think there was a formula and not a savior. It would be working in formula, but not on faith. We tell God, if you want me to keep walking, I need to know it's working, but it doesn't work like that. Tearing down strongholds might look like this. Prayer, no bricks. Worship, no bricks. Study, no bricks. Intercession, no bricks. Fasting, no bricks. But you don't know when your seventh day is coming. I haven't received instruction not to shout on my first laps. So just to be sure, I'm going to shout on every last one of them. Like each one of them is my last lap. And I'm going to walk in that. And hear me, worship does not tear down strongholds. We've, we've created a theology about worship that I'm not thrilled about, but, but hopefully I'll get another chance to speak to you about that. But what worship does is it proclaims my faith in the God who tears them down. When I shout, I give glory for something that I know is about to happen. So God says, you're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. You're going to walk around these walls and believe that I'm working, even though it doesn't seem like I'm working at all. Will you do God's will even when it doesn't seem to work? Just because your progress isn't obvious does not mean it's not working. Trust the process, engage in persistence. Maybe God doesn't want to, you to know that it's working because in the meantime, he's doing a deeper work in you. Paul says, I have, I have a thorn in my flesh and it's just not going away. We never find out if it does. You know, what we do find in Philippians chapter four that he learned to be content in all situations. There's a work inside of you taking place walls inside of you that are beginning to crumble and he can't let you know that it's happening. We, we have to be less focused on the outcome and more focused on obedience. Outcome is God's responsibility, but obedience is yours. We walk in obedience. I have to enter his presence. I have to elevate my perspective and I have to engage in persistence. I'm gonna close with this. You know what I love? I love altar calls. They're not in the Bible, but I love altar calls. I like, I love steps of faith saying, 
there's nothing magical about this aisle. There's nothing magical about this place. But when I stand up and walk to it, I'm showing God, whatever you have to do, I'm at least going to go with you. I'm at least going to get up and move. But I was studying when, when altar calls kind of became relevant in the church and, and what they began to do. And in the really came about in the early 1700s, they were being used. And actually what would happen more often is a pastor would begin on preaching and everyone would just meet them there just to talk and ask questions. It was the first altar call. People would just come up to the pastor and they would talk and they would have conversation and then which would end up in prayer, which would end up in, in all these other things. But a pastor in the, in the mid-1800s started using them for more things. And, and one of the things they became was when the abolition movement was created and people had to decide what side of freedom they were on. He would say, if you want to sign for freedom, walk down here. And the history of what we do today was always meant to be a sign of saying, I might not see freedom because the country doesn't look like it, but I'm signing up for it today. And that's who I am. And that's what I believe. Whatever your stronghold is, has been, you're facing, I'm, I'm going to pray in just a moment that the Holy Spirit would identify it for you. And then what I'm going to ask you to do is to walk down here and sign up for freedom. To tear down these strongholds, to tear down these walls. And at first, no prayer partners with them. I have strongholds still at work in my life that I'm working to defeat. Tell me I did something wrong and see how I react out of pride. There are strongholds that exist. So you know what? I'll meet you down here. I'll pray for mine and you pray for yours. And as we begin to sing and to worship, to proclaim the shout of what God's about to do, we're going to watch it happen in this place. Are you ready? Everybody stand up in this place with me. I'm going to pray. And the moment I say amen, I want you to sign up for freedom. The Holy Spirit in this moment is going to tell you what your stronghold is. He's going to tell you what you've been facing. He's going to show walls to you. Things are beginning to work past reason and past logic and into the truth and reality of what's taking place. And I want you to live in freedom. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for, for strongholds that are about to fall. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would shine truth and light into each and every one of our hearts. God, show us what we're facing. Show us what the battle has been. Give us insight on the enemy's schemes and his attack. But God, give us the courage, the boldness, and the faith to step out and declare this morning we are done being walled up. We will walk in freedom. We will walk in freedom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If that's you, I just want you to come to the altar right now and begin to declare out, speak freedom, speak life, speak truth. There is power.